detailed account of our budget. You can ask for that. They'll print it off in the back for you anytime. We have an open book policy with our finances. So anytime you want to know about the money, you can come and get a printout. Just boom, print it right out just how we see it. There's no secrets here. We're changing the way people think about church, amen? You know a lot of times people feel like I was saying before, where's the money, where's the money? No, we know where the money goes here, and you can see it too. Psalm chapter 2, in the Word from our Prophet series, we're going to learn about David and the phrase that he taught us there in this prophecy, ask me for the nations. Can we all say that together? Ask me for the nations. Thank you. Psalm chapter 2, verse 1. David speaking here. He says, why do the nations conspire and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath. He says, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I've become your father. Look at verse 8. Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear. And celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss his son or he will be angry. And your way will lead to your destruction. For his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. If you believe that, can I hear an amen? Amen. Let's go back up to verse 1 as we hear about David talking about this. This is a powerful, powerful passage. In the New Testament... David and his Psalms and Isaiah and his prophecies are quoted the most. David is a prophet because he foretells things. He speaks about the future. What he is talking about in Psalm chapter 2 is the king coming, the anointed one coming. If you didn't know, let me help you know about the word anointed. In the Hebrew, it means Mashiach. That's where we get the English word Messiah. You then take it into the Greek, you get Christo, and then Christo into English is what? Christ. When we say Jesus is the Messiah or Jesus Christ, we're not saying his last name. We're talking about his kingship. And that's why we should never take his name in vain. And if you've ever thought about his name in vain, it's stupid anyways. When you stub your toe, why not say, oh, Hitler, right? Why not say, oh, Buddha? Why would you ever want to say the greatest name of the greatest person that's ever walked on this earth? Amen? Next time you stub your toe, you can say those other names, but never say Jesus Christ in vain. Amen? Because we honor that name because it's the name of our king, Jesus, the anointed king. That's what he's talking about in Psalm 2. David writing this hundreds of years before Jesus is saying that a king is coming and he's going to set the things in order. But notice how it starts in verse 1. David asked the question, why do the nations conspire? Why do these people plot in vain against our God? Their conspiracy is to throw off the shackles of God or the commands of God. Now let me ask you a question. Do you think people are conspiring against our God in this culture? Or let me ask it another way. Do you think the majority in general, the people of our culture, embrace Jesus as king? 
Are the majority of people going, I embrace Jesus as my king. He is my Messiah. Jesus is my Lord. Is that the majority? No, the majority are plotting against our God, aren't they? And they're doing it in conspiracy, aren't they? They're doing it little by little. How did it start before some of us were born? They said, let's just take prayer out of school. And then now, guess what? You can't even say it as a valedictorian in a speech. And if you're a football player, you can't even take a knee and point to heaven. Why? Because it was a conspiracy to get God out, the, out, out, out of the schools. How about in government? We used to have the Ten Commandments on, you know, in the courtrooms. And the people would swear on the Bible. Don't you think our founding fathers would understand the difference between church and state? And don't you think if they allowed somebody to swear on the Bible, that still meant that the Bible was important even though it didn't have to be churchy? So now we're trying to throw out the very traditions that we had at once, that we all took for granted. If we all looked back into our family history, most of us come from Christian backgrounds in one way or another, and all of our heritage, whether they're Roman, Catholic, Baptist, Protestant, whatever, all of our heritage would be ashamed of what the world has become today. Think about it. If right now... Most politicians had their way. You would lose your job. You would be fired if you don't call Sam Sally. If Sam changes his gender and now wants to be known as Sally, our government is trying to make a conspiracy that if you don't agree with it, it doesn't matter. You will call Sam Sally or you'll lose your job. They're already doing it in other places right now where it literally will be against the law, against your workplace to be able to say, I still believe in Christian ethics. Our alderman, an alderman here, Marino, look it up at another time. Marino tried to stop Chick-fil-A, a business, from coming into the Wicker Park area, not because they are a church or are preaching, but because as a business, they support pro-marriage organizations and pro-life organizations. And that alone was his effort to try to stop them from coming. How long do you think it will take? The way things are going now before what I'm doing here is illegal. How long do you think it will take? And don't think I'm just being too conspiratorial, which by the way, the Bible says they are conspiracy, uh, making conspiracies and are conspiring. Don't think I'm being too, too alarmist here because here's the deal. In China, it's already happened. Look at the arrests of pastors in China right now and how long will it take? Now, I'm not saying that we have to force people to do what we want to do. That's why I believe in church, uh, division of church and state. I believe that I get to do what I want here, and you get to do what you want there. But just as I say to them, you don't have to call me pastor if you don't want. I don't have to call you Sally if I don't want. Right? Isn't that right? We shouldn't be able to force them to come here and call me pastor, so you shouldn't have to force me to, to say something I disbelieve in. I believe in the genders of the Bible. I believe in the Bible's creation story. And so you have to ask yourself a question. In the world I'm living in today, do I see the conspiracy? I see it. I see it all around. Right now in our school clubs, you could talk to some of our students that, that do these school clubs on their campuses. They have to fight for their right to have a Bible study there. The Muslim group doesn't have to. Let them ride in. The LGBT group doesn't have to. But the moment the Christian group wants to start a Bible study there, they get all their feathers ruffled because they say, oh, you know, you guys are going to be bigoted. Oh, you're going to preach about hell. You're going to say all these things that people don't like. The Muslims, you know, that's for their culture. The LGBT, uh, that's because they're oppressed and they need this. Christians, you guys don't need this. And we have to go there 
and still fight for our right and go, hold on, you can't stop this. We still have the right to assemble on school property as long as it's student-led. And that's why we have four, come on, four school clubs. Let's give it up for our students, amen, putting the Bible back there. And once again, they don't have to want it. They, they can walk right by our school club. They don't have to come to the school club. But you can't take the right away from us from having that school club. And we believe that everybody else should have the same opportunity. The Buddhist wants one, the Muslim. See, the Christian, I'm talking the good Christian, not the wicked Christian that's a hypocrite trying to love power. I'm talking about good Christians throughout history have always said, we don't want to force it on anybody, just give us equal opportunity. And then when you give us equal, equal opportunity, you see what happens. We transform nations. That's why they're trying to stop us in China, because the Christians are taking over the nation by conversion, not by force, but over 100 million Chinese Christians are there now, and they're seeing the truth of what God is about and what the world is about. And it's the same thing in the school. You allow us to have that school club and keep preaching and teaching, young people are going to stop believing they came from the goo through the zoo to you, that they came from an ape-like ancestor, and they're going to start believing in God again. And that's the power of the, of the gospel. But the Bible says here, and let's just look at it. It says, why do they do that? And it says what they say. Look at verse 3. Let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. Why do you think the world thinks about following God as a chain and a shackle? It's because they don't want to give up their sin. How many, just right now, if you're in here right now and you've got at least $100, raise your hand. Come on, raise up. If you got, I'm not going to take it from you. Just raise up your hand. You all got $100? Nobody over here? You all broke? Come on. Okay. Okay, you all got $100, right? Why aren't you buying crack right now with that? You could go take your 100 and go get an eight ball or some type of crack amount. Why don't you take your $100 and go get crack? Has anybody changed you to the church and made you not go buy crack with your money? How many of you are married right now? Raise your hands. Why aren't you cheating on your spouse right now? Why aren't you doing it? Has anybody changed you to your spouse? Are you chained to that person right now? No. Think about it like this. You and I choose to make our decisions when we see the outcome as beneficial, and we choose those things based on the wisdom that we have by God. So we don't want to go buy crack, though we could. We don't want to go cheat on our wives, though we could. How many have gotten drunk before? How many know it didn't feel good? Is that why you probably stopped doing it, right? God taught you not to and it doesn't feel good. So let me ask you a question. Are the commands of God, watch this, like commands like don't smoke crack, stay sober-minded, don't get drunk, get married, don't sleep around. All of these commands, are they shackles or are they guardrails? They're guardrails. When my family drove in the Sahara Nevada mountains when I was a young kid, we could see the seaside while we were up in the mountains. We were up high. I was thankful for the guardrails. And I didn't want my dad to start gunning it into the guardrail to see how much the car and the guardrail could take before the guardrail broke. Are you tracking with me? See, for people who have wisdom and who are saved, they see the commands of God as protection. Thou shalt not steal, protects me. Thou shalt not lie, protects me. Honor thy father and thy mother, protects me right? It keeps you safe. Don't love money, love God. These things keep you safe. What do the worldly Christians want to do? They want to keep bashing up against that handrail, see how much they can sin and still go to heaven. I want to see how holy I can live and still be on earth. <laughs> I'm going to say that again. Some of y'all trying to get to, as close to hell as you can and go to heaven. I want to see how close to heaven I can get and still be on this earth. I want to do what God said 
Number one, because it pleases him. Absolutely, it pleases God to keep his commands. Just like when our children obey us, they please us. But even more than that, why do we keep the commands of God? Because it's the best thing for our lives. So, I mean, is there really anybody walking around going, oh, man, I just, I'm so burdened by staying sober. I just wish I could shake off sobriety and be drunk more. I wish I could smoke more crack today. God told me I can't. I wish I could cheat on my wife and leave my kids. That would be so awesome. I wish I could be so greedy and bitter and unforgiving. Those attributes really make for a great life. No. But the world does. So what's the difference between us and them? What's the difference between the child who loves their parents' rules and the runaway who says, I want to go do my own thing? The difference is the heart. You see, if you're here today and you're relating to this, you're actually outside of Christianity. You're like the world. So if you're looking at this young people going, man, I wish I could do what they're doing, you're missing what the point of Christianity is. And if the world today would wake up and see the truth of Christianity, they would do what I'm doing right now. So when I talk to the gay or lesbian person or the person shacking up with someone they're not married to, I'm not trying to make their life miserable. Like, let's just take Ellen, for example. Like, if I was preaching to Ellen, do you think me teaching Ellen the command to break up with Portia and either remain celibate, devoted to the Lord, or to marry the opposite gender, do you think I would be saying that to her because I hate her? Do you think God is teaching her that because God hates her and she just got to loose herself from that old Bible so she can go fall in love with Portia? No, if we're looking at the Bible correctly, the, the commands are not chains. They're the things that uplift us and give us a foundation of life. One of my friends is pastoring a woman that used to be in a married relationship as a lesbian, and now she is serving God, and the joy in her heart is incomparable to what she had in the world. Here's the way I call it, the example that I like to give from C.S. Lewis. It's the difference between trying to go swimming in a Chicago pothole or going to the ocean. Yeah, in the pothole, you could get wet. There's some similarities there, right? Like the pothole has water, and you could sit by on a hot day, and maybe you could have a lawn chair there. But how many know, no matter what you did with that pothole, it's never the ocean? See, I know that like Ellen and other sinners and sinning however they sin, because we've all sinned in our different ways, we can all make our pothole in our mind to be the thing that makes us happy. But that's only deceiving ourselves. We're only looking at it through blinded eyes. We're not being truthful with ourselves. If you had the choice between taking a vacation at a Chicago pothole or the ocean, what would you pick? Right? So if I'm preaching, if I'm preaching to Ellen, and let's get off the LGBT thing, let's just talk to the person that's backslidden, that says they believe in God, they're married, have wife and kids, but they don't put God first in their life. They're too busy going to karate practice. They're too busy working 20 hours a day, whatever. Okay, let's say I'm talking to any sinner. What are we actually telling them? Oh, come to Christianity so you can have chains put on you and never love the one you really love or not be with the one you think you're supposed to. No, we're not, we're not putting chains on them. What we're saying to them is you can be free from sin and all of its deceptive desires. You can be free from all of this emptiness that's in this lifestyle because the lifestyle of God, the command-keeping lifestyle of God is the ocean. 
How many of you used to live around a pothole in that sense? And, then, and you know, you used to live your life without God. How about that? How many are by the ocean of the Lord? How many know there's no comparison now? It's just, I mean, I'm just going to say one last time, maybe I can offend a couple more people or get you free, one or the other. You either get free or you get offended. When my mother taught me about Jesus when I was 18, she was not putting chains on me to keep God's commands, commands that would teach me not to have sex before marriage, commands to stop using vulgarity and to use purity, commands to obey my father and mother. She was not putting chains on me. What was she doing? She was introducing me to the blessings of God. So the world has it wrong. God's commands are not chains. They are not burdens. They are God's best plan for your life. Amen? Amen. Now look at this. I love my God. Here he is. They're all saying, man, we're going to conspire. We're going to throw off these chains. We're going to do me. I'm going to do me, God. Look what it says in verse 4. The one enthroned in heaven, what? He laughs and the Lord does what? Scoffs at them. I like to play dodgeball with my kids in my backyard, and I show no mercy. Isn't that right, Hannah? Because I want them to be raised up tough. You guys get what I'm saying? Like I got a lot of daughters, and I want them to be tough. So when I grab that ball, I don't give it the soft throw. I throw it as hard as I can. And then every now and then my daughter, she'll pick up one of those balls. Maybe she's got a little welt on the side of her face. And then she starts getting mad. Ah, she's going to throw it at me. At the height, listen, at the height of my daughter's anger, at the height of her scream, she's going to get me. I laugh. I laugh. I go, come on, throw the ball. Do, do it. I don't care. And I, I catch it. Listen. The nations are shaking their fists at God. They're mad. They're upset. They're thinking they're going to make God change his mind. People ask me, oh, you know, why does the devil still fight if he knows he's going to lose in the end? Here's what I think. It's just an opinion. But I think the devil wants to mount up such a case with his followers that he tries to play the pity card with God and says, look at all these people who fell with me. A third of the angels, a lot of the earth. Are you really? going to send us all to hell? So I think that's why he fights so hard because he wants to make God feel bad on judgment day. But the Bible says he doesn't. He laughs. He's going to laugh at Oprah if she doesn't repent. He's going to laugh at Jeff Bezos and the world powers. He is going to laugh at China as a nation as they've tried to persecute Christians. All the big tough guys, all the big tough men and women governments, all the ones who say, I got a problem with you, God. He not only laughs at them, he's going to scoff and say, try to take me off my throne then because otherwise it's my way. I made this place and it runs my way. And so my friends, let us not think we're going to change the king. The king is going to change us. So you read the Bible. Come on. We're, we're not, we're not old-fashioned here, right? I mean, I think I'm dressing about as casual as I can. I have as much fun as I can with my wife and kids. I mean, I'm not, a, I'm not an Amish person. I actually grew up around the Amish. They, they couldn't use electricity. They used horse and buggies. This church is pretty, pretty cool, right? Like, it's pretty relevant. But let me ask you something. Are we going to change this Bible to be cool? Am I going to try to change to fit in with the culture and then take my, my whiteout or eraser and go, ah, oh, no, man, I can't do that. I'm going to lose too many friends. I'm going to lose too many members. They're going to think I'm a bigot. They're going to hate me because I'm not, I'm not down with this. No. 
We're going to love all people the same, but we're going to hate sin the same. It doesn't matter if you're a rich person. You got greed? I hate the sin of greed. It doesn't matter if you're doing gangbanging. I'm going to hate the sin of violence. It doesn't matter to me if you've been religious your whole life, but you're sleeping around, you're not doing it right. We're going to hate that sin. It's very simple. God so loved the world, right? He loved the world, so he loves us that he sent his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not what? Perish. So he loves us, but he's still going to let us perish if we don't live according to his word. And if we think we're going to shake it off and now put it back on him and say, you do something about it, he's going to laugh at us. And then look at what it says in verse 5. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath. He says, I'm going to stop you, and I'm going to stop you now. Now watch what he says in verse 6. I have installed my king on Zion in my holy mountain. Who's that king? Jesus. That's the one he's talking about. This is hundreds of years before Jesus. I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask me, and I will make the nations your what? Your inheritance, the ends of the earth, your what? Your possession, you will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Are you ready, boys and girls, for your next installment of what God thinks about the wicked on Judgment Day? Two weeks ago in review, he told us we were like the dust that he swept away. Then last week, he said that we were like a candle that he snuffs out. What does he say about the wicked today, boys and girls? They will be dashed like pieces of pottery. I mean, how much more serious am I supposed to take this? I, I don't know how to say this to you otherwise. If you don't do it God's way, you get dashed to pieces. The most famous verse we talk about, God so loving the world, has the word perish in there. So there's not really an option here if you don't want to be crushed. If you don't want to be crushed, swept away, uh, snuffed out, serve the king. And the king has been given all the nations. Can I show you that in the New Testament? Come on, go to the book of Acts. They quoted this psalm twice in the book of Acts. I'm going to go to the second place they quoted it. Acts chapter 13, verse 32. How, how many remember Jesus getting baptized? What did the father say when Jesus was getting baptized? This is my, this is my son. So where is the Trinity? Let's look at the Trinity. Father speaking in heaven. Jesus the son being baptized. And then who do we see coming down in the form of the dove? The Holy Spirit, right? Now watch. Holy Spirit rests on Jesus through his death, burial, and resurrection. Then he ascends to heaven to be with the Father. And who does he say he's going to send? The Holy Spirit. So that's who we have now representing the Father and the Son. There's only one God who is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We confessed it today. When the Son came to earth, he was anointed and empowered by the Holy Spirit. When the Son went back to heaven, the Father and the Son sent the Holy Spirit. Now look at it here, please. In verse, uh, chapter 13, verse 32, it says, We tell you the good news, the gospel. What God promised our ancestors, see, talking about David, what he promised our ancestors and their children has, excuse me, what he promised our ancestor has been fulfilled to us, their children, by raising up Jesus. Somebody say, raising up Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you. As it is written in the second psalm, isn't this beautiful? Prophecy being fulfilled here. Hundreds of years later, the disciples are pointing back to this. In the second psalm, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Was Jesus 
always the son of God? Yes, but he always didn't have flesh. When he took on flesh, he related to us and got the kingdom back for mankind that we had lost. As the son in heaven, Jesus ruled as a king. But he gave man to have dominion over the earth. And if you remember in the Garden of Eden, this, the devil, the serpent came in, took that away, and Satan became the ruler over the earth. So according to God's plan, a man had to be sinless to get it back and to take the penalty for all the other men and women's sin. That's why the son came in the flesh, and then the father says of him, this is my son, meaning this is now my king of all humanity. So Jesus is 100% God and 100% man. In other words, he is the God-man, our king. Does everybody get that? If Jesus wouldn't have come on the earth and been a physical son of God, we would all die and go to hell. It's that simple. He had to become like us to get back what we had lost. Now go back to Psalm 2 quickly. Uh, Vinny, would you come, please? I don't want to be too much longer, but I want to end today. As we focus on starting a new year, fulfilling verse 8, look at it. Ask me, this is the father talking to Jesus, says, ask me, Jesus, ask me, my king, and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. When did Jesus ask the father for those things? Go to Matthew 28, Matthew chapter 28, at the resurrection Jesus now implements his authority as king. He was appointed by his father to be king over the world. And look at what he says in Matthew chapter 28, and then we'll see how it applies to you. Matthew chapter 28, verse 16 says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. So are you the kind, the person that worships Jesus, or are you the one that doubts Jesus? Either way, he's king. How many know you are you, whether or not people believe in you? How many know that? Come on. You're you, whether or not people believe in you. How many know Jesus is king, whether or not people believe in him? He's not coming here like an American Idol contestant. Will you please vote for me to be your king? Vote, you know, call in this number. He's not coming you know, with his little hat in hand on a rainy day with his, you know, his, his hair drenched because he's been out in the rain. He's like, you know, can I please come in and be your king? He's coming on the horse conquering nations. He is king whether we believe it or not. But notice, some worship, some doubted. Which one are you? I hope you are with me worshiping Jesus. Now look at what he says. Here it is. Here's the application of Psalm 2. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. After he raised from the dead and ascended to heaven, he was given all authority, every bit of it. And now what does he say to us? What does he say for us to do first? Go start jobs, go have kids, have a great life? No, this is what he says. I am king. I have all this authority. All the nations are now mine. I am ruling over them. I'm about ready to go on that throne and sit next to my father at his right-hand side. Here's what he tells us to do. Therefore, go and make disciple of all nations. So they belong to Jesus, and now he says, now go disciple them for me teaching them to obey, or excuse me, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them first in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and then teaching them to obey how many things? 
everything I commanded you, and then surely I'm with you to the end of the age. Can you put up the screen, please, of our vision and everything? I want to say it in closing now. You can go all the way to the bottom or the, to the announcements, whatever's easiest, please. If all the nations belong to Jesus, and then he told us to go make disciples of nations, what should you be doing now? Making disciples of nations. If he said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, what should you be seeking first right now? Kingdom of God. Now, let's go back to the Psalm one, uh, Psalm 2, verses 1 and 2. Are is serving God and putting God's righteousness first, is that a shackle to you? Are you just like, man, I wish I didn't have to pray so much. It's so bad praying to God and talking to him about my problems. I wish I could just fix them myself. Oh, man, I wish I didn't have to give to the church. I wish I could keep it all for myself and my four and no more. No, that's not your heart, is it? Your heart is supposed to be this. God, the nations belong to you. I'm going to go get them. <laughs> Come on. I'm going to go claim your prize. During the time of slavery, that wicked practice, there were some Christians that wanted to reach the slaves that were coming over. They found out that one of the slave ships would use one of the Caribbean islands as their station to send out the slaves to the different parts of North America. They asked the slave owners and the, the ship's captain if they could come aboard and be a chaplain to these slaves and preach to them the gospel. These men were so wicked. They said, no one's allowed on here except for slaves. One of them was married. Another one was single. They said, we sell ourselves to you then to be your slaves. This is the beginning of the Morvarian mission movement. Look it up, Morvarian. They gave their lives to become in the slave trade that they could be preachers to the slaves with them. As they were leaving the ship, this was their last saying to their people. They never saw them alive again. The wife never saw her husband. Father never saw their kids. It's written in history. And this last saying, these last words of theirs, became the motto for the Moravian mission movement that led missions for over 100 years and were the ones who saved John Wesley and the Methodists. These, these were their mentors, in other words. And here's what these two young men shouted out as the ship was leaving, to never see freedom again so that they could preach the gospel. They said, may the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. If Jesus died for him, then we're going to go get him. There was a young man in his 20s that heard of a remote island right outside of India. This is modern. He wrote down their location. He paid people to show them where they were at, where, where these people lived. He took a kayak to reach these unreached peoples, and they speared him while he was in the kayak trying to reach them. That people group still hasn't been reached. That was just a few months ago. Jim Elliott, how many are from Central America? Anybody here from Central America? Don't be ashamed. Come on, raise your hands. Do you know that missionaries went to Central America? Jim Elliott? Are you familiar with Jim Elliott's story? They started aviation missions. They were the best and the brightest of Wheaton College, and they started to become pilots. This is one of the mission groups we still support today, so that they were supporting the one that's in the Congo, so that they could become pilots. Isn't that cool? But they would fly their planes 
into these different unreached people groups. They were making contact. I believe it was in Guatemala. Look at the movie End of the Spirit documents their lives. They were making contact. But one day, for whatever reason, as they got off the plane, the villagers thought they were coming to conquer them. They speared them to death. Even while they had guns on them, they didn't fire back. And one of their last words to the villager is, was, why are you killing us? We're just coming to preach to you. Now listen, the one who led that tribe said after he killed them, he saw angels in the jungle. The wives of the men who died that day then said, we will follow the tradition of these people and we will give ourselves to them. Because in that tribe, in those regions, when you killed the warriors, the women became property of that new tribe. This is a true story. You better watch this movie. You don't believe me. Into the spear or read the book. This started an entire aviation movement called the Aviators for Christ. You can look them up as well. It's like I'm saying we're supporting them. So these women went to go live in the village of the murderers of their husband. Could you even imagine that? My wife going to go live where they killed me. The man who led the, the raid against their husbands tells the story that I saw the angels after I killed your husband. And no one came back to fight us. And now that you're here, I want to know about your God. That man became a Christian. The whole village converted to Christianity. He traveled all around the world telling the story it's worth it it's worth it we didn't know God Jim Elliot and these brothers they came and we killed them but it was worth them coming because we would have went to hell if they wouldn't have laid down their lives for us I'm just asking you here today, do you take this serious? Because there are people in our generation and in generations past who have taken doing this so serious. And you know the thing about us today in Chicago, when I go to my park today, because it seems like it might be another nice day, I was out there yesterday, it is like the United Nations. I've got Moroccan people there. I've got people from India. I've got people from all over. My friends, the nations are in our backyard. How dare we not give it our all this year for God and his kingdom? I want you blessed on your job. I thought I've made that clear to you, right? I want your kids blessed. I want your schooling blessed. But first, we put God's kingdom. First, we show up this year on the streets. First, we preach to our neighbors. We tell the world about our Jesus. And how do we do it? So simple. We're going to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. He gave it all for us. We're giving it all back to him. We're going to love our neighbor as ourselves, be good Samaritans, preach the gospel. We're going to connect people to the cross. We're going to mentor people with the cross. And we're going to teach them to be sent out to carry that cross. And at the end of our lives, I want to believe here in this city, baby, we're going to see 100,000 come to Christ. And we're going to fill Soldier Stadium. Amen. And we're going to see 50 churches that surround this neighborhood and this community. And we're going to go overseas. And we're going to meet them there in Japan, in Iraq, in Syria in Sierra Leone in the Congo and we'll send our best 
I asked the Lord for two boys, and then I said, I'll stop and give my wife a break. I said, Lord, I want two boys. I said, I need one to be with me here, and I need the other one to go lay down his life for Jesus somewhere overseas. That's just me. I'm not telling you it has to be everybody. But I, since being a Christian, my heroes are those missionaries. That's why I got story after story. I've read whole books on missionaries to Tibet. Victor Plymeyer lost his wife there. I could tell you about him having to remarry just to be there in Tibet. And by the end of his life, you only saw about a dozen saved. But after that became hundreds and thousands. So I'm not just saying this to be cool and, and cliche. One of my children, I believe, is going to go lay down their life. I'm not saying they have to be a martyr but they're going to go reach people for Jesus. And one day, I'll just, just go a little more personal here. One day I was playing out, I, I was doing my sermon preparation in my bedroom and my kids were playing out in the backyard and God told me to go look over the window and go see what they were doing. And I, I went over there and saw it and there was just joy and, and childlike joy over there. And I heard, heard God tell me this, Maria. I heard God tell me, you have made for them the kingdom of God here. Well done, son. Because when they are going to get older, they're going to be in places where they see not the kingdom, where they don't feel loved, where they don't feel welcomed. My friend Dick Brogdon does underground missions in the Middle East. They have to take their children and they put them in boarding schools in safe countries. The men grow out the beers, the women wear the hijabs, and they go underground into the most severe Muslim countries. And they don't know if they're going to see their children again. And I just heard God tell me, you show them my kingdom now because one day they'll be in a dark place where they won't see it. And let them remember the days of their youth where there was a father, where there was love, where there was joy, where there was singing. And so I want to ask you, where are you willing to take the cross? Because I'm ready for that day. I'm ready literally to go to Dick Brogdon and say, here's one for your team. Wherever you send him, Dick, I trust you. If he's going to Syria, where it's the worst right now, send him. I hand him over to Jesus. His life, his life belongs to God. I came to Chicago as a missionary. Y'all know that, right? Wasn't born here. You were worth it. I just want to ask you a question. This year, is anybody else worth it? Because tomorrow I'm going to be out there again. And I won't have all your amens. And I'll be preaching at Wright College or Madison and Pulaski. And I'll be getting cursed at. Those of you who have been with me have seen it. They curse me out like they cursed you out. But it's worth it to me. I want to see Chicago saved. Does anybody else want to see their friends, their neighborhood saved? Because as we talk about this this year, I want you to remember Dick Brogdon and the Live Dead movement who's reaching Syria. I want you to remember Jim Elliott going to the mission ground in Central America. I want you to remember Victor Plymeyer in Tibet. I want you to remember all of our heroes, that young man who rode a kayak to face spears. Because empty chairs bother me, not because I have an ego. It's because I know someone today is not going to heaven and should be. And that's why I prayed for Arnold before he even came back to this church, this young man right here. He's already in my Bible as a prayer request because I knew him as a youth. I'm not letting go. I'm giving him my best. 
my best. Can I just say this one more time because I feel the anointing here? As a 22-year-old, I moved my white behind into the projects and the Section 8 of New Orleans. I got my stuff stolen from me from my neighbor twice. I got chased out of neighborhoods. I got threatened all the time. Why? Because I had to see Joe from the Calio get saved. And he made me his best man in his wedding. Joe from the Calio, where Master P was from, Master P did nothing for him. When we started doing Bible studies, he said, man, I don't have anywhere to do it. I said, I'm going to pray this week that you find a place to do it. He came back to me and I said, hey, where are you doing your lessons now? He said, I do them in the bathroom. I said, why are you doing it in the bathroom? He said, because my mom's on drugs and the whole house is a mess. He said, but I go to the bathroom and I read my Bible and I do a Bible lesson. That's an honor for me. I don't miss frat parties. My friends who went to IU and, and Purdue and all those schools, most of them are drunkards, divorced, messed up right now. You know what I got in my 19-year-old self? You know what I have to show for my 20s? Joe! I can point back to Joe and say, that's what I gave my 20s for. For guys like Joe from the Calio. Because when they saw me coming to the neighborhood, they said, you are either an undercover cop or you are an addict. And I said, I'm neither. I've come to preach to you, Jesus. Is it worth it to anybody? Let's just pray before we go. I'm so emotional right now. I don't want to manipulate you with my emotions, but I just want you to get where God wants you right now. Where's your heart supposed to be? What are you supposed to care about right now? Yes, there'll be new cars to come, new school opportunities, new jobs. I believe all of that, but right now, where's your heart? Is it for the lost of this city? Come on. When I first came to this city, you say, Joe, where'd you go? I went to Cabrini Green, asked my wife. And then I went to Belmont and Clark. I said, I will go to the places they don't think we belong. I'll go there. I went to Belmont and Clark so many times to see people saved. Why? Because I don't just preach against the sin of LGBT. I lay down my life for it. And it's all God's grace. It's nothing good in me but God. You get it? So where do you want to go? What school do you want to reach? What family member do you want to talk to? What person are you going to invite to your life group? That's why all of our life groups are growing is because we're reaching out. Who else wants to join us this year? Who else wants to bring somebody new this year? A few moments, say, God, use me. Come on, ask him to use you this year. Let's put in some places that we want to go. Altar workers, band, would you come please quickly in closing? It's been an honor being your pastor, but we're supposed to pastor more here. I've already lost at least two young people in my youth group from being in Chicago. I've already lost two. Did you remember Shorty, Arnold? Do you remember Shorty? Yep, Shorty got shot in front of his house, died. He looked just like Davi. I don't know if you remember a guy named Shorty. You can look him up online. Shorty, he'll have his obituary. Come on, a few moments, God, send us. Send us, God. Send us, Lord. I know when we seek your kingdom, God, you will take care of us. 
In the Our Father, what comes first, friends? Our daily bread or thy kingdom come? Which comes first? Come on, which comes first? Shout it out in your prayer. Which comes first? Your kingdom come, right? So that means we could trust God. A few more moments right now can change somebody's life this year. Pray for areas of influence. Pray for places you can go. Because I can't go everywhere. The leadership can't go everywhere. Nothing makes me more full of joy than when I see you coming with people. Because it's, it's why we're here. A few moments. God, send us. Send me to my neighbors. Send me to my community. I pray Wright College sees revival this year. I pray Madison Pulaski sees revival. A few more moments right now. God, send us. Every high school student, stand up right now. I want to pray for you right now. I'm going to start from youngest to oldest. So every high school student, stand up, please. Father, I pray you use them as missionaries in their high school. I pray, God, that they would have the same heart as Jim Elliott. They would have the same heart as these missionaries had in their early teens. I pray they lay down their lives for you at these high schools. I pray they reach out to the lonely, to the neglected, and then to the ones that have it all, the ones that look like they're doing the best because they're just putting on a mask. I pray, God, that the high schools are changed one at a time. For people like Jason, if you guys didn't know, Jason was one to the Lord at a school club. What was the school? Shures High School. Jason got saved last year. All right, now I want to pray for all my 20-somethings. Whether you're in school or starting your career, come on, stand up. I want to pray for 20-somethings right now. Come on. Give your 20s to Jesus. I promise you won't regret it. I was single for 10 years. I didn't get married to my late 20s, and I promise you I didn't miss out on anything. So all of y'all in your 20s right now, surrender. Give up your hands. Throw up your hands and give your 20s to the Lord. Say, Lord, I'll serve you as long as it takes. If you're already married, love God with your spouse. If you're single or a single parent, love God with your children. Come on, if you got a career, love God in that career. But right now, your 20s belong to Jesus. You want to look back on this time and not only be able to say, I got a good job in my 20s, I found my career, I graduated school. You want to believe that you're going to look back on your 20s and say, I saw souls saved. I saw lives changed. I saw darkness flee. I saw my king sitting on a throne, ruling and reigning. Everybody 30 and older, let's stand up. Come on, everybody 30 and older. We'll leave it at that, amen. We're not going to do a call for senior citizens. 30 and older, stand up. I pray all now for the movers and the shakers. All you busy bees, all you have to pay all those bills and do all those things. I pray this year is a year of harvest. I pray that you have a stress-free prosperity. I pray that worry flees from you this year, that you stand strong in the Lord, but you achieve great things. And here's the thing, my 30-year-olds and older, you don't do it alone. You bring people along with you for the journey. You, you adopt children in this church that don't have Christian moms and dads. You volunteer in the kids program. You give back what you have received. These are your years of influence. You earn those gray hairs. You earn those wrinkles. So you're going to give it back this year.
And this is going to be our model, all of us older folks. This is going to be our model. We're getting back double for all the trouble the devil caused us. Amen. We're getting back double. I just don't want to see one saved. I want to see 20 saved. I don't just want to see one teenager get rescued or one young adult avoid the pains of life. I want to see hundreds. I want double for all that devil did to me, for all that he took from me. And I want to rescue those from darkness. We'll close out in prayer in just a moment. But if that meant something to you right now, just say thank you to Jesus because it's an honor to serve him, isn't it? We thank you, Jesus. I thank you, God. I wouldn't want to do anything else. A few moments. Come on, thank him because we're going to thank him ahead of time. I don't need to see it yet. I don't have to see revival yet. I'm not doing it for the thing I get out of it. I'm doing it to be obedient first. So I'm just thanking him even now. I don't have to wait to have a better year. I don't have to wait to make more money. I don't have to wait to see more souls saved. I'm thanking him now. Because as surely, whew, as surely as I started in a Bible study in my house, on Addison and Pulaski without even a building to meet in, and as surely as I thanked him then for being good, I will thank him today for even what I haven't seen. Come on, has he proven it to you yet? Has he proven his goodness to you yet? You don't have to wait to see it. You can thank him now. Few moments of gratitude for the harvest to come, the blessings to come in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, come on, say amen if you believe it. Hallelujah. God bless you. We'll see you at Life Groups. You're dismissed. Thanks for coming.